This episode is brought to you by Kids Not For Sale, an organization that is dedicated to protecting children from sexual abuse in the state of Nevada. For more information about this organization or how you can help get involved, please go to kidsnotforsale.org. In this episode, we're going to finish our conversation with Godly Daniel, the executive director for A Door of Hope, a foster care agency in the Tampa Bay area of Florida. If you have not heard the first part of this interview, I would like to invite you to listen to our latest episode, either before or after this one. Our goal in this season three is to equip our listeners to understand our mission for our abolitionist project. If you would like to know more about our abolitionist project, please visit usiaht.org slash abolitionist. And now, here's part two of our conversation with Godly. For your experience, are, are there more? I, I, I would think that in foster care, you're going to have a lot more homes taking in like young children rather than like teens or something like that. Right. Um, out of, you know, natural fears, you know, like, so I have like, a, a, I have at the moment, like a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a seven-year-old at home. Yeah. Taking in a teen is almost like uh, daunting to me, right? right? Like, right. what would you, what would you say in that? Like, what is the situation? Is, are, are, are the teens, te- are you struggling to have, find homes for teens? And Yes, we've run whole campaigns trying to do that very specific targeting because we know we will get the younger ones. So we were doing our campaigns targeting teens and medical homes and things like that, which are, you know, higher level of needs. Most, I mean, I have 200-something homes now, and most of them will take in kids that are 12 and under. And exactly for the reasons that you said, because they want to make sure that they're not taking on way more they can handle, and they don't, they're, you know, there's a risk. You're taking a risk with your own child that maybe you don't, you know, you're ready, you're not ready to take, which we totally understand. So that's not, you know, our part to decide what is best for a family. That's between them and the Lord. And, you know, as the Lord kind of guides them through the Holy Spirit on what is best for them. But we know, though, that these children need something, right? The kids that are in the teen area. And so, you know, my heart is calling the church to think outside the box. Let's let's come together and let's figure out what we can do that can really um, take, really give an opportunity for even these teens who always feel like they're the ones that are left out. They're the ones that have to go to the group homes. They're the ones where, you know, they can't find a family for, um, and, you know, that's part of the coercion, right? Like nobody loves you. Well, they feel that Mm -hmm. because they're not the ones that are taken into a home. Uh, You know, there's no place for you. Yeah, they feel that because they're the ones, you know, as they see kid after kid after kid leave that are younger than them, and they're still there, even if a new child comes in and they're still there. Like you can imagine the pain and suffering and the how much um, you build up in your heart to protect your own heart from ever loving, right? So now, so now you're like, you know, people don't love me. People don't care. And this is a big reason why someone can coerce them to say, well, I love you. Yeah, it almost, mm-hmm. it almost sounds like it's easier to coerce yes. somebody who's often not picked, correct? You know? Um so if you were to give us like an idea of like, um, I, I know you don't have this number offhand, right? But if you were to give me an idea of like, um, if I were to say, oh, oh, how many teens to, like, how, oh, for when it comes to homes, how many homes do you have that accept teens versus like 12 and under or even younger than that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it would probably be anywhere from 5 to 7% that take in teens that I have out of the 200 that I have. They have. I do have some, like I said. So five to seven, I would probably say, is probably the percent that take in teens. Most of those teens are going into group homes or shelters. And how often are teens being taken from their home? Just, like just as often as the younger ones, or technically a little less? They are a little less. So numbers across the board, probably zero to five, is probably the highest numbers. Uh, but they, why is that? 
they're the most vulnerable. Like a teen, most times if a, a, a child protective investigator shows up at the home, a lot of times those teens will run, mm. right? They don't want to be taken. So guess what? They have the ability to run and go anywhere they want. And so they will. It'll be harder to find them. Um, and so that becomes, that happens a lot in the system when somebody comes in to try and run. And when they're running, you also don't know where they're running to. Correct. You know. Correct. And that's... so they can become homeless really fast. They're on the street trying to figure out what to do. Also reasons for coercion. They're already living in an abusive uh, place right now. Now somebody else in you know, whether it's gang related or trafficking related, you're going to find a place where you can try to, you know, find family. So in your experience, these teens that come in, like, I mean, uh, yeah, I want you to be real with the audience, right? It is, it is sort it can, I can, I can, I don't want to sugarcoat that, like taking a teen is the same experience as taking in a baby. Right. Um, you know, tell me like what, what are some of the stories or experiences, both good and bad that you've seen, of like a teen coming into the home or something like that. How can you campaign to our audience? Like, yeah. this is why it's important. Um, well, I guess well, you've heard, you've told us why it's important. Tell us why we should be brave enough to do it. Yeah. So we've had moments where families have taken in teens, and yes, and to be very honest, yes, th- these teens have a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect, a lot of trauma, right? That they have, you know, it's just built up over the years since from you know from. Um, when they were babies, all the way to where they are now. So they have felt rejection. They have experienced maybe sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect in multiple ways. And a lot of those things sometimes we don't even know about, right? Mm -hmm. Because an investigator has to be asking the parents or somebody saw something, and those are things that are documented, which are shared with all foster families. But it's always like there's lots of things that are not known. And sometimes when a a child is in a home and they they feel that they're safe, that's when they start disclosing like even more, like here's all the things that happens. And that happens a lot with, with teens that are in homes where they know they're being loved and cared for. They re, they Then they think that place is safe. Mm-hmm. Then then you'll hear more of the things that are happening in their life or has happened in their life. And it just it'll just break your heart. And so for me to tell the audience and to tell just the body of Christ, like it is a high risk. It is it's it's going to take everything out of us to love these kids. It's going to challenge children in our own homes. It's going to, you know, cause a lot of sacrifice to our time. But I can't imagine anything else in life that we're involved in um, that's worth it, right? We have to let these teens know that they're worth it. Mm -hmm. They have to know that there's a God who loves them, who cares for them, and the very agent that he has is his body, right? Christ being the head. We are the body. We are the hands and feet of Christ. And so God is saying, you know, you are my body. Reach out to these people, whether they're young kids or they're older children, even adults that are, you know, facing abuse and neglect in different ways. Mm -hmm. We have to be engaged in some way to help love them and care for them because God has done that for us in Christ. Like when we were so messy and we were running from him and we were you know, all kinds of, you know, crazy and how we were behaving towards him and towards others, God still loved us and God still chose to come. Mm-hmm. Like the story of the gospel is is a story of incarnation where God didn't, he could have stayed in his house and, and been safe there, but he decided to come here mm-hmm. where it was messy. And he decided to put himself in a place where he's going to be abused 
and neglected and abandoned for our sake. And so the call to us as the body of Christ is the very same thing. You are to be like your Savior and Lord who saved you. And so we go to those places of darkness, and we go to those places where people are being abused, and we take the abuse for them. We take the neglect for them. We take their abandonment because they're going to try to push us away, and we're going to suffer so much in our own hearts. We're going to feel their pain because we love them so much, and we want to show them the love of Christ. All of those things are what Christ is calling us us to do as the body, and it's not going to be easy. It's never going to be easy. And But regardless, it's what Christ has called us to. And mm-hmm. so if God is calling us to that, then we just we have to be obedient. We have to walk in obedience to what he's calling us to. Well, something else I heard you say that it sounds like you're not just ministering to the child, but you're ministering to that parent because you said something about co-parenting. Can you kind of elaborate more on that, like what you say co-parenting? A lot of our families— what we, what we see is that many of them have been in the foster care system generation after generation after generation. And so it's just a cycle of abuse that keeps happening, right? So you were in foster care, your mom was in foster care, your mom's mom was in foster care, mm-hmm. and it just keeps happening. They're just going down the same road, the same road over and over again. And so our call to our families is ministry is for all people. And so God loves everyone, not, and we are not. When we say everyone, we're not talking about just the child. But there's a mom attached to that child. There's a dad attached to that child. What if we were to reach out to them too? And the only reason you would ever meet them, or anyone else in the system of care, is because this child is sitting in your home. And so we look at that as God's just providence in the fact that you have this child, and you're now connected to this mom and this dad, who you get to love on, who you get to also share the same message that hey. You are loved. You are worthy of love and that you can do this. And there's a God who loves you and will give you the strength to do this where you can have your children back. You can restore your family. Mm -hmm. You don't have to walk down these broken roads. God can take the mess. God can take all those ashes and he can make beauty out of it. And that's the ministry we have to them as well to say that God loves them and he died for them. He wants them to know him and he wants to redeem what has been broken. In 2022, our president, Kevin Malone, was approached by several pastors after an event to let him know what they want to begin doing more in their church to help educate their congregation about human trafficking in our nation. They wanted to provide a curriculum that didn't just spread awareness, but rather tied it to how Christ has called us to respond to this atrocity. Just a few months later, the U.S. Institute, along with Kids Not For Sale, wrote a curriculum for the church and partnered with world-renowned pastor and author Francis Chan to create a five-part Bible study series that looks into the details of human trafficking in our modern-day age and how Christ has called his church to respond. This series is called Advocate, Defending Hope for the Hopeless, and is available now for free at AdvocateSeries.com. You can also gain access to the series through Right Now Media if you carry a subscription. I implore you to check out this study and invite you and your church to also encounter this experience. You will be heartbroken by true stories and lifted by the restoration that is only found through the Holy Spirit. You will be challenged to act and encouraged with the resources provided to do so. So we encourage you to go to AdvocateSeries.com today or find Advocate Defending Hope for the Hopeless on Right Now Media today. And as always, 
Thank you for listening to the Trafficking Free America podcast. And now back to the episode. It's a hard thing to kind of point that out to the church. Yeah. Hey, I need you to love um, this person who abused the child that's now in your home as much as you love that child. Yeah. How do you encourage the church to do that? A lot of times just the word of God. I mean, I, it's reminding ourselves of who we are. You know, we, you know, we can, whenever we read scripture, we always put ourselves in the place of usually the hero in the story a lot of different times, mm-hmm. or not even the hero, sometimes the bystander who's a, a good person not doing anything, right? But a lot of times we're the Pharisee, like we're, we're the tax collector. Mm-hmm. We're the ones that are, um, you know, you know, not too far from those people that are evil. And, and God is really reminding the Pharisees and everybody else that, you know, at the foot of the cross, everybody's equal. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And the moment we realize that we're not the righteous ones, we're actually the sinners, then when God says to the Pharisees and to everybody else, I came for the sinners. I didn't come for the righteous ones. Mm. We, realize, we'll, we will realize he came for all of us because we're all sinners. But if we don't acknowledge that we're the sinners— then we will miss Christ because we think we're righteous. Right. And that's the hardest message to kind of bring people to. But sometimes you just have to be creative. Sometimes go to scripture like and look at the stories that Jesus had with with the Pharisees and with different people and say, like, this is the message that he's trying to teach here. Like, we're all on this side. And you have to just know that you are and understand that you are. And so we're equal across the board. And so whether it's the worst of sinners that you can imagine or the the least of sinners, whatever that looks like, the wage is the same. It is death. Mm. And we were all given life through Christ. And so that's the message we want to share as long as we can all see it. Amen. I mean, what you're saying, even just that scripture, like um, Christ came, um, I'm sorry, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. When when Paul is saying that in Romans, he's talking to the Jews, saying that um, the Romans are not of this Jewish origin, and, and he's like, guys, you've all sinned. Yeah. And he's saying he's not saying like we need to go save them because all have sinned. He's saying, yo, y'all have sinned. Right. Mm-hmm. Where are you just come on? Where so? Amen. I mean, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm a little stirred up. Like, all right, we're fired up here. Um. Go ahead, Joy. Yeah, so we know that for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so I kind of want to, um, I want you to explain um, the step-by-step process of how to become a foster parent and basically those foster parents seeking and wanting to save those who are in um, basically this cycle of um, trafficking or kids going back and forth to homes and um, how they can be the hands and feet of Jesus yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, that picture is is beautiful. Like I said, it's like a picture of incarnation. So seeking and saving the lost. Mm-hmm. So foster families come into this foster care world because there's a calling, right? So God being the head, us being the body, God's using us to engage a darkness in wherever, mm-hmm. wherever it is, because it's very true. And we all understand that any amount of light in darkness, mm-hmm. uh, the darkness can't overcome it. It's impossible wherever Correct. light comes in, right? And so we have been given this light in Christ, and God is in this big uh, work, which he calls the ministry of reconciliation. And then literally Paul says that to the Corinthians, he's like, yeah, that work of reconciliation, I'm going to give to you. You're going to share and be a part of it, and you're going to go and help me reconcile man to God, Mm. which is crazy 
first of all, that God would even consider having us be a part of something like that. Like, right. why would he doesn't need us for any of those things? He could do it all himself, but yet he chooses to use his body to be able to do that. And so we're in this ministry of of reconciliation with Christ who pursued us with everything, right? Pursued us to the point of taking on our own flesh. He became exactly like us. He was God eternal, Mm -hmm. the creator of all things. He became exactly like us and considered it not robbery to be equal with God. That's what the scripture says. And so being like us, he's able to understand everything about our lives. And and he pursued us um, wherever we were at, from the lowest of low to to a woman caught in adultery, to to uh, you know the leper, to the um, to the blind uh, man sitting mm-hmm. at, for many years, like all these people he he saw in different ways, and even the Pharisee, like he went you know he's talking to Nicodemus, like you see all these aspects of Jesus in Scripture going after everybody to seek and save them. Mm-hmm. And so when we call foster parents to uh, this world of foster care, we're saying God is calling you to the exact same things in this avenue of foster care, or if, if it's in the avenue of trafficking, in the avenue of trafficking, to come and bring that light that he has placed inside of you into this dark place. And so there is an aspect of pursuit. There is an aspect of sacrifice. There is an aspect of... Um, just overcoming, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, barriers that are coming in your way because you're after this pursuit to seek and save the lost. That's that's your mission. That's your goal. You see God has called you to that. He's given you this commandment to go and make disciples, and you know all these things already. And so whatever it is that you need to do to get to, uh, the, uh, to, get to the final thing, which is, is bringing someone who's lost, to the, to the saving knowledge of Christ, like you're going to do that. And so in foster care world, our families do that every day where they love on these kids. They're taking them into their home. Mm-hmm. They're experiencing their world, like with mom and with, with the child, like things that they would have never experienced otherwise. They're experiencing their world, their pain, their suffering. Everything that they're going through now has become a part of their life, right? And now they take ownership of that, and they're going to fight for this child. They're going to be a voice for this child. Whereas before, they were never a part of it. Now they're going to battle the system if they have to. They're going to battle case management. They're going to battle whatever it is, you know, the school system so that this child has a better education, that this child has a better health care, this child has better this because it has become personal and real to them now. And that's a big deal in our world of foster care. And in trafficking, man, it's the same thing. Like you've taken this child who's so broken. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I remember, I can't imagine even when I think back, because this reminds me of those stories, so many different things that broke my heart just listening to what was happening to children, parents selling their own kids. I can't imagine. I just can't imagine how that can happen. But I know in history it's happened. And I know also in history that whenever those things happened, it was always Christ followers who stepped in to save them. Mm. Going all the way back into Roman culture, when they would r- just get rid of their kids outside of the city, there was always the early church would go outside and go get them and save them. Like that's what's known about Christians all throughout history. And so even now that's our call. Like there are kids that are being left out, uh, that are being tossed aside for whatever reason it may be. But regardless us, we as the church are called to step in and to save them and to love them. So we're calling abolitionists around the nation to step into taking action to fight human trafficking. 
Yeah. Um, and what we've done help do as at the U.S. Institute is kind of help narrow that down into like, okay, let's focus on these factors first that we've, but through our research, we found, you know, if one in five children in foster care, and just like you said, like the abused, the neglected, a lot of times it's generational. We, we need to focus on foster care to help not only, it's kind of a, it's kind of a twofer. It's like a prevention and a victim care in its, in, 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 in and of itself. Then we have safe homes, naturally caring for that person who's been a victim and, and providing restoration. Mm-hmm. Then there's um, drop centers, resources and everything that's naturally there for the person that's cur- that could pr- currently be a victim. And then pregnancy care centers where oftentimes a woman is um, uh, going there because uh, because of being sexually abused, raped, trafficked, whichever. There's many different circumstances we've seen that where someone can recognize signs right away from that. Right. And so kind of with that circle, you know, um, and, and focusing on foster care, how can we fight trafficking through foster care? And I want to say besides becoming a foster parent, obviously becoming a foster parent is, a, is the calling right. and we need more homes. But I also know uh, that some people are just not called to become a foster parent right. or they have maybe situations in their life that have pre- that prevent them from possibly being licensed as a foster parent. Right. What are ways that we can surround foster care in general? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. Um, mentorship is a big part that kind of comes alongside foster care. And one of the ways m- mentoring can look, there's obviously definitely specific mentoring, like tutors, tutors and things like that, but there's also something called the guardian litem. Mm-hmm. And so this is where uh, someone who's a volunteer to be an advocate for a child in the system. So they're not taking the child in their home, but they have to visit this child you know, once or twice a month and have FaceTime with them and advocate for them in the court system. And which is a big deal because the judge really wants to hear from the guardian about what's going on in this case, what's going on in this system. And that guardian has access to information from case management, from the licensing agency. So everybody is together on helping this child. And they are specifically as a volunteer mm-hmm. given a lot of, um, you know, uh, weight in regards to what they what they share to the judge about what's going on with the child and what is best for this child. And so being a guardian is a guardian is one way that you can serve children without being a foster parent. Other ways is that you can serve uh, families. So if you are close friends with foster families, it, they would love it if you would help provide respite for them. So if you're taking a child in for a day or just providing babysitting or maybe you're providing meals for that family so that they can feel supported and last longer. Uh, in being a licensed foster parent through through the years, mm-hmm. those are definitely ways that, that you come in. You can be an uh, you know an employee in the in the from the system all the way down to obviously working with the Dorfope. But you don't have to be just be a Christian agency. You can be in the system itself, serving in multiple ways, whether as a case manager, as you know one of the lead agency as parts of it, adoptions. You can work in the system to make a difference. We need more mm-hmm. Christ followers engaged as attorney at litem, as you know, as you know, judges who are coming into to the system of care, like with a heart that loves Jesus and wants to to do what's right for for a child. We there's so many different ways that you can get engaged and do something about the problem and be a part of the solution. What are the step the practical steps of becoming a foster parent? Sure. Uh, first thing we always have everybody do is come to our website and come here about uh, who we are as an agency and then fill out our foster parent uh, form. So when you fill out that form, you kind of talk about who you are. We ask you a bunch of questions up front. 
and then we're going to call you and mm-hmm. then go through just a little orientation. There's some really quick disqualifiers that we would ask you up front so you don't have to waste your time walking through paperwork and other things if we already know that disqualifier up front. So we'll walk through that with you or, or someone else from the lead agency will, which, whichever group. And then after that, they're going to an uh, info session, find out like, hey, this is what foster care is about. Are you still in? Are you not in? Are you guys on the same page? We want to give you the good, bad, and ugly so that you can make a wise decision. You don't want to just walk into something with little information. And so we want to give you as much as possible to the point of almost you know, trying to scare you a little bit to say, hey, this is a responsibility. So Because mm-hmm. we don't want to see a child uh, break down in regards to the homes that they're in. So we want a child to stay in one home if possible. So uh, as much as we can stop disruptions and things like that. And so that happens next. And there's 30 hours of class, like I mentioned with you. Then we go through a a part of background screening. We do a home study on the family, really just writing about this family and who they are and what's going on in this home, dealing with any issues that we need to deal with in the home study. And we write that out. And then soon after, you're going to get a license from the Department of Children and Families once they approve the home study. And you'll be within hours probably in our system. This has been the case for a while where within Mm -hmm. hours you'll get a call from the placement team asking you if you would take a child that fits your profile into Mm. your home. I kind of want to know if someone's interested in becoming a foster parent and they're not in the Tampa Bay area, um, what should they research and finding or like differentiating like what's a good agency to join? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you find in Florida – Across Florida, there's lead agencies. So if you Google foster care, it's going to bring you to your local lead agency. And most of that is connected to the Department of Children and Families. Whichever way you kind of go, you'll be able to get to a lead agency. And on the lead agency pages, usually there's different agencies for licensing or different, you know, that you can probably connect with to be mm-hmm. able to see what's the right fit, right? It's important for you to find an agency that kind of works with your beliefs, your values, and so that you can uh, move forward together in unity because it's, it's all about partnership in the system. So you have to be partnered together really well mm-hmm. to be able to be successful in caring for this child. Okay. Godly, thank you for spending some time with us and helping uh, just our audience and us understand more on like what the foster care system is currently and why the church is God's solution yeah, yeah. <laughs> to fixing this. I think we're always looking for, God, why aren't you doing something about this? And he's like, I don't know, maybe plant it, Maybe I planted a church yeah. Yeah, <laughs> 2,000 years ago, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think um, you know, something that is mentioned in, in our Advocate series uh, is uh, you know, when, when we ask God, why didn't you do anything? It's almost like he's asking us, why didn't you do anything? Right. Mm. Um, and not to where God needs us. Right. God is ready for us to be used. He's yeah. given, he's equipped us. He's, he's prepared us. And, um, you know, as I think about fighting human trafficking and ending human trafficking, I mean, you're, and you're, I know your goal at Adore of Hope is to um, have a home for every child, right? Right. right. Um, real quick, I, I know this, and so I don't want to say that I want you to be the one to say it. When we think about the staggering numbers of nine children a day, just in Tampa Bay area. Right. How will we ever find enough homes? I know you have an answer for that. Yeah, the answer is the church. So we believe there's more churches in our Tampa Bay area across the nation that uh, that are more than the number of kids that are in the system of care. And so if every church even provided one family, mm-hmm. you can solve the crisis. It's solvable, and the church can do it, and that's how God had instituted it for, from long before. So... He knows what he's doing. So if you're you're in the audience and you are a church and have a foster family, if you're a pastor, 
focus on just ha- growing one foster family and everybody else surrounding that foster family to make it, it's the church, right? If you're a big church, have more than one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. it takes one family, right? And, and, and on, on that note, it, what, name some demographics of like foster families that you have licensed. Oh yeah. We have, uh, Obviously, we have families, so mom, dads. We have single parents that are involved in foster care. We have young parents. We have young single uh, uh, moms. We have actually even a single dad that was engaged by himself because on weekends he had time to also help. I have seventy-year-old families, uh, seventy-year-olds that are that have families or single as well that are mm-hmm. also engaged. So. The spectrum is like all over from different groups, whether they're they're black, white, Indian. Uh, we we have all different groups that are kind of helping us. So it's not one, it's not just to one specific demographic, but it's open to all to be able to be a part of this. But once again, it's a calling. And so that part is probably the most important. Again, the godly, thank you so much. And um, I pray that your organization continues to fight trafficking uh, by providing foster care. And, um, and we do encourage the church to provide one home for every child. Amen. Thank Thank you you guys so much for having me. Thank you, godly. Thank you for listening to this episode. This podcast is brought to you by supporters that are helping fund the awareness and education about human trafficking in the United States. In this episode, we would like to thank Elder Naharo, Christina Benedict, Amanda Dumas, and my apologies if I mispronounce this name, Katia Ventura Demito. If you would like to help support the Trafficking Free America podcast, which is brought to you by the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking and Kids Not For Sale, please click on the link below in our description.